0: Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. The PowerPlace exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, to empower you with His Spirit and His Word, so that you can engage your world. Here at the PowerPlace, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. And our prayer is that as you listen, the absolute truth of God's Word would bring complete freedom to
1: every area of your life.
0: Well, good morning. morning. So good to be in God's house, amen? Amen an awesome God we serve Arnold just received his new driver's license the family they head out through the driveway climb in the car Arnold's getting ready to take them on a ride for the first time and dad immediately heads for the back seat sits directly behind the newly minted driver hey dad I bet you're back there to get a change of scenery after all the months of sitting in the front passenger seat teaching me how to drive said the, the boy to his father dad said nope just start driving. I'm gonna do like you've been doing to me all these years. I'm gonna sit back here, and kick the back of your seat. <laughs> I don't know if you heard or not, but um, a thief broke into the police headquarters, stole all the toilets. The police have nothing to go on.
2: <laughs> so.
0: I'm excited about next Sunday, Zane Anderson. We had the privilege of meeting him and and spending some time with him in in Texas. And he had us a word. Um, For our conference, he had prayed and and said, Lord, give me a word for the people that are there. And as he spoke, uh, we sensed the presence of God and the power of God and grabbed a hold of a few of those prophetic words. He's coming to do the same here, and I believe you will be blessed. You will move to a new level in your life if you're ready for it. So come expecting next Sunday as uh, Pastor Zane comes and shares the word of God with us. Tuesday's voting day. uh, The primaries... I encourage you to vote conservative biblical values. Yeah, go ahead and vote. Do that. But know who you're voting for. Know what they stand for. What they will do when they get in office. And um, let your voice be heard. Amen. Last Sunday was Mother's Day. What a powerful word Brittany Hollis shared with us. Amazing. Uh, someone came to me and said, how many more secret weapons do you have in this church? <laughs> she's a weapon, but she's not secret. We're not hiding her. Uh, she preached on surrender, fight, win, and walk in victory. Uh, some, I, I wrote down some, some phrases that uh, she shared Just because you didn't come from a healthy family doesn't mean a healthy family can't come from you. Amen. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to take that to heart and say, yeah, I didn't see that growing up, but I will create that for my children to grow up in. Amen. Run to the fight. Your breakthrough will come when you're not impressed with the size of your problem. Your breakthrough will come when you're not impressed with the size of your problem, but you're impressed with the size of your God. Amen. I mean, she was spitting truth last week, dropping truth bombs all over the place. She was on fire. And, and here at the Power Place, we value truth. I don't know if you know that or not. We believe absolute truth will bring complete freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If, if you want to continue to buy the lies of this world, to buy the lies of the enemy of your soul, you're probably going to be offended here. You'll probably walk away without being changed. But if you want to be set free, we're a truth speaking house. And God's word is absolute truth. And absolute truth brings complete freedom. We believe the Bible from cover to cover. And if you need counseling, the greatest counsel you'll ever receive is from the word of God and being in his presence on a daily basis. There's so much confusion in the world today. And we all know that the devil is the author of confusion. He wants you to question everything God said. Did God really say He said that to Eve. Did God really say? And he put a question mark on what God had declared as truth. He wants you to question everything that God is saying. And when you're questioning truth, the enemy is giddy with excitement. He's got you right where he wants you, questioning God and his authority. And when there's confusion... You can know who's working behind the scenes. Once you recognize confusion, you know that the author of confusion is working his work. Absolute truth brings complete freedom. So James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Say it with me. Submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Say it again. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. All the devil's all over me. Submit to God, number one. Then resist the devil. It's going to be a fight. Go ahead and fight. Fight the good fight, Paul the apostle says. Fight the good fight of the faith. Don't let the enemy win a a toehold in your life. Amen. I'll preach here in a minute. By the way, I don't know if you you read that uh, the Satanic Temple has announced that it will protect religious abortion access if Roe is overturned. Who is that? The Satanic Temple. And really, that's all you need to know. Gives you a glimpse of who's behind this evil. The devil has always incited the world to kill the babies. Even back with Pharaoh, a deliverer was about to to appear through Moses, and Pharaoh said, kill all the babies, kill the baby boys. When Jesus was about to be born, Herod declared, it's time to kill the babies. Are you listening? We're in a holocaust of babies being murdered in the womb. And the enemy is behind this because he knows there's a next generation of deliverers and he's scared to death. If you've had an abortion, realize that God loves you and forgives you. Okay? His mercy is new every morning. If you're able to fight for unborn children, do that. Do that. Because God loves little children. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves the children. On Friday, we were privileged to uh, go to the Special Olympics in Coatesville and watched uh, hundreds and thousands of of people there who uh, cheered their their Special Olympians on. We were there to cheer on Anchor, Anchor Chase. He was named Chase because we always have to chase after him. (laughs) He's fast, he's a good runner. Uh, but he threw the ball, he, he threw the uh, javelin and, and did the, the long jump. and it was such a joy. And I watched the joy on thousands of people's faces as we celebrated those who are special with special needs. And, and it dawned on me that really, many abortions happen because of special needs possibilities. And the joy that, that these children bring, the celebration that we enjoyed, it just caused me to pause again and say, babies need to be born no matter what, no matter what. And it, it's time for next level faith. We can't stay where we've always been. It's time to move to a whole new faith level. Today we're talking about Joseph. in This series, Next Level Faith. The Old Testament speaks. It still speaks today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. So... Joseph's about to die, and he says confidently to the people of Israel, You're gonna leave Egypt. And when you do, I want you to take my bones with you. Because I see something. It was by faith that Joseph spoke. This was the same next level faith that Joseph had when he saw what wasn't seen yet, but he knew it was coming. It's the same faith he lived by even at a young age as a teenager. And I'll remind you, the enemy is always after the next generation. He's gunning for your kids. He's gunning for your grandkids. And we've got to fight him at every level. We've got to fight for their lives. That's why the Power Place Academy is so vitally important right now. We're investing in our kids' future, the future of the faith. And so by faith, Joseph spoke. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 says now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Can't see it yet, but something inside me, the faith of God says that's coming. I don't have it yet. I'm hoping for it, but I still see something by eyes of faith. And I will speak that into existence. I will move towards that with the faith that moves mountains. It's the same faith that Joseph had as a teenager. And he kept that faith as he grew older, even through much difficulty and persecution. So I want to look at the life of Joseph today. Genesis chapter 37. Quickly read with me. All right, we're we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph A young man of 17. Somebody say 17. He was a teenager. And yet he lived an exemplary life to those around him. Teenagers, you can do this. You can be an example of what a godly life looks like. He was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. And it was true. They weren't all that good. Sometimes the truth hurts. Truth hurts sometimes. But absolute truth brings complete freedom. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, he they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Now Joseph knows in the back of his mind that his brothers don't like him. Okay, he already knows this. They can't speak a kind word to him. They're jealous of him. But notice his response. Very well, he replied. I'm sending you to your brothers. Very well, he replied. Obedience is the key to life. And your obedience is an investment in what you can't see yet. When you obey what God asks you to do, when you obey what the Father speaks to you, you can't see the outcome of that yet but it's coming. He's asked you to do something because he knows what's ahead. And so Joseph says very well. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers with the flocks, bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the Valley of Hebron. Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him, wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Alabama. I mean, Dothan, so, so Joseph went after his brothers, found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into the, one of those cisterns say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. The enemy's always about destroying what God has spoken to you. He's all about doing everything he can to stir up your life to the point where you'll just give up and say, nah, it can't be done, I guess. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. And you know what? that which set him apart from his brothers, that which made everyone notice that Joseph was special, his dad made this just for him. They took it from him. And those around you who want to destroy your dream will try to strip you down to their level. Because they know that you're special. They know you've been set apart by God. And so they try to bring you down to their level. They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him, threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up, saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. And because we know the end of the story, we know that there were years of cover up. Some of us have done some things in our life or had things done to us in our lives that we've tried to cover up. I'm going to tell you right now, cover up never heals anything. It must be revealed to be healed. It must be revealed to be healed. For some of you, that's what you need today. You need a healing. And so you need to be revealing The things that have destroyed you that have been covered up. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And when your life seems like it's going bad, it can actually get worse. Joseph, all of a sudden, is now a slave in Egypt. Chapter 39, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, while Joseph, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Even in the midst of Joseph's mess, God prospered him. And I'm here to tell you today that some of you are in the middle of a mess and you're thinking, how will I ever get out of this? And if you'll stay in the next level faith position, God will prosper you even in your mess. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or to even be with her. Take notice. If you love God, there's some things you just won't do. There's some places you won't go. There's some people you can't hang out with. Why? Not because you're better than them, but because God has set you apart for something. And you don't want to tarnish what God has for you. I don't ever want to be taken out of position to miss out on what God has for me. I'm going to obey him no matter what because my obedience is an investment in the future I can't see yet. That future's coming. I see it by faith, but I don't have it yet. I'm not touching it yet, but it's coming. Hallelujah. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So some things you need to run from, Amen. Drop it and run. Come on, baby, get out of there. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, "This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me, ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. <laughs>
2: Look.
0: <laughs> Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought, brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it gets worse. I don't care what you're going through right now. Even if it's bad, it may get worse. But you got to keep your eyes of faith on the prize. you got to say, I know what God has for me. I know what God has spoken to me. I've been in his word. I know what his word says. I'm going to stand on the truth of his word no matter what. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. on your nasty job, the Lord is with you. In that place where you can't stand to be, the Lord is with you and the Lord will favor you. Keep your next level faith. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Come on, somebody. Genesis 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer, the baker, the king of Egypt, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. You may be in a place where God wants to use you right now, even though it's not the best situation in the world. Stay faithful. Captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer, the baker, the king of Egypt who were being held in prison had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Joseph came to the next morning. He saw that they were dejected. And sometimes in your place of employment, you'll realize there's somebody that needs a touch. You'll notice things that you'll say, something's going on here. Let's talk about this. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, put the cap, cup on his hand. And this is what it means, Joseph said the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you're his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. Even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Chief Baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation. He said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. And the top basket were all kinds of baked goods of Pharaoh. The birds were eating them out of the basket of my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets for three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. The birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. So they once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Sometimes it seems like things are bad and that they even get worse. But Joseph always kept his next level faith in God. Chapter 41, when two full years had passed, two more years in prison, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when, out of the river. There came up seven cows, sleek and fat. They grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile, stood beside those on the riverbank. Cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing in a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. He imprisoned me, and the chief baker, in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, but the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh was sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought before the dungeon, from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You see, even in your next level faith, you need to know where the glory goes. Because God will do some amazing things in and through you, but you can't take credit for it. Pharaoh shares his dreams in verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. And all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food shall be in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt. So the country may not be ruined by the famine. And the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? And because of Joseph's faithfulness and commitment to God, God gives him the answer that is needed for the entire land. And God elevates him in the sight of the leaders. And all of a sudden they recognize this isn't just a man. This is a man that has the spirit of God in him. And he's full of wisdom and discernment. And he knows exactly what to do. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know if you'll stay faithful to God, keep the next level faith and keep your eyes on the prize, God will elevate you. Out of seemingly nowhere. You may even say, I don't know how I got here. But God knows because he's been watching. He's watching your faithfulness. He's watching how you're handling every situation that's coming your way, even though it may get worse and worse and worse. God is able to keep you. God is able to raise you up. God is able to to pour into you everything you need and you will have the answer for those who need it in the deepest, darkest time of trouble. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All my people submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command. People shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, but without your word, without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zaphnath Paneah, and gave him Ezanath, daughter Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's been a long time, folks. Isn't that dream, it's been a long time. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence, traveled throughout Egypt during the seven years of abundance and the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping record because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Azaneth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Can I tell you that if you'll stay in your next level faith there's coming a day when God will bless you to the point where you forget you you can't even bring it up you can't remember how bad it was you can't remember how awful it's been and you're looking at your life saying I'm so fruitful now in the land of my suffering, God has blessed me, even though I should be suffering right now, God has brought me to the place of fruitfulness. I'm telling you, it's coming. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Seven years of abundance and even came to an end. Seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. (laughs) Go to Joseph. Do what he tells you to do. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses, sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Because the famine was severe everywhere. Got to the point that Joseph's brothers eventually came to Egypt to buy grain. Joseph realizes the dreams he had as a 17-year-old boy are finally coming to pass. And he's going to milk this for all it's worth. He starts playing games with them because they don't recognize him. He sends them back and forth and back and forth. And the next few chapters are worth a read. As, as Joseph puts his brothers through the paces. Finally, in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. He'd been hiding his identity from them. Verse, 45 said, or verse 1 says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then... It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father. Say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. And all of a sudden, everything comes into focus. And Joseph says, This wasn't you. This was God. God was working all along from age 17 to now. 22 plus years. Wow. Over 22 years to see his dream from God come to pass. How long are you willing to wait? how long are you willing to stay faithful? He saw it in a dream. God confirmed it a second time. And yet he didn't see the fulfillment of that dream for over 22 years. But he stayed faithful. Joseph never wavered. He saw with eyes of faith, persevered through every trial that he faced. And even when he was sold into slavery, wrongly accused, imprisoned for doing the right thing, his faith didn't waver. He kept his eyes on his God who helped him forget all his trouble and made him prosper and be fruitful in the land of his suffering. <laughs> Joseph had eyes of faith that refused to look at his present circumstances Rather look to the unseen reality that his faith eyes saw. That's next level faith. He knew his God, and he knew that he would never abandon him because he's a faithful God. Then his dad passed away, and after his dad died, his brothers got worried. Chapter 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, uh, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not your judge. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly. If you'll submit to the Lord, he will turn what the enemy meant for evil into good. Everybody looks at him and goes, it can't be good. Oh, but it is because God's turning it. He's shifting things for my good because I love him because I'm called according to his purpose. This difficult situation brought about the saving of many lives. I'll tell you, God never wastes anything. So, well, how could He use me? How could He use my story? How can He use all the mess that I've been through? Next level faith. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Let Him walk with you. Stay faithful and watch Him turn what the enemy meant for evil into the saving of many lives. Your story has the power to save lives. God is always working all things together for our good. Is God still the same today? Absolutely. Can we have next level faith like Joseph did? Trust God through the most difficult times of life? I don't know. Let's, let's ask Jill Scannell, Kevin. I don't know. Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Absolutely He is. Come on, girl. One more. Good? Some of you may not know but I think we all do. This is a miracle. It's a miracle in the making, but we're standing in the middle of a miracle. You're standing. Come on.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to share my testimony. God has been so good to me through a very scary season in my life. And in the past few months, I've learned that no matter what trial you're facing, he honors every promise that he's made. No matter what the report may be, or how bad it may look, the tax of the enemy will not prosper. Sorry. In early November, I received a call that I had tested positive for COVID. I didn't think anything of it at the time. I knew many people who had had COVID and were fine. About five to seven days, I would be sick, be back to my normal routine and back to work. Well, fast forward a week later, I was very sick, coughing a lot and very weak. I woke up one morning and I told my husband, I need you to call 911. He said he would take me to the hospital. I knew we didn't have enough time. I needed help. I was having a very hard time breathing. By the time the paramedics arrived, I was hyperventilating, and I couldn't get any oxygen. The paramedics took my blood oxygen level, and it was at 50%. I didn't know at that time, but that's not good. A typical person is between 98 and 100. The paramedics immediately began to bag me and pump oxygens manually into my lungs. They did so the entire trip to the hospital. I knew it was bad when I arrived to the hospital and I didn't have to wait. They had a room for me right away. Uh, Fast forward three days later, I wasn't getting any better, I was actually getting worse a team from the ICU came and saw me. They said in order to save my life, they would have to sedate me and intubate me. They would put me on machines that would do the breathing for my lungs. I was really scared to hear this. All I could think of was Kevin and our kids. I remember praying as they wheeled me down the aisle to the ICU. And I said, God, you can perform a miracle in my body. I remember having conversations with God too and saying, God, I am not okay with this. I cannot accept that this is it. I have a family who needs me and I need them. I remembered his promises that say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. I knew I was in the valley of the shadow of death. But I had peace in the midst of all the chaos surrounding me in that moment. There were so many doctors coming and going, and they were moving rather quickly to save my life. But I felt peace. Before the doctors put me to sleep, they asked me if there was anyone I wanted to talk to. At that time, no one was allowed in the hospital, not even my husband. But I told the doctors, I'm not going anywhere. There's no one to say goodbye to. I'm going to be okay. They looked at me with pity. (laughs) They knew I had very little chance of survival at that time. Um, I'm going to let Kevin talk a little bit for a minute about what happened next, just because I was... uh, Once the doctors put me to sleep, I have uh, no memory. (laughs) Um, So he's going to share a little bit.
2: So... um I got a phone call, since I was at home, uh, and it was a doctor saying, hey, um," well, Jill and I had been texting back and forth, and um, so I didn't really realize how sick she was. She seemed like regular old Jill. Um, And she texted me, don't let them intubate me, it's really bad. And I said, what are you talking about? They're gonna intubate you. And soon after that, a doctor called me and said, your wife's very sick, in order for us to keep her alive, we're gonna have to intubate her and sedate her. They went through all the details um, and uh, said we can't keep her oxygen level up and her blood pressure has dropped to a point where she barely has a blood pressure. Uh, And I said, well, let's do what you gotta do. Um, And I still didn't really realize what that meant. Um, I found out later on that week, After a couple days that they'd found Jill had a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in her lung, uh, and that was why her blood pressure was dropping and why she couldn't keep her oxygen level up. Um, During that time, the next couple days, uh, I wasn't able to see Jill. I was calling, getting reports. They were throwing all kinds of information at me. I was Googling stuff. It was pretty bad. I I didn't know what was going on. I found all kinds of studies saying that 70% of the people that are intubated with COVID don't don't make it. I did it again. The same study came up. Another study came up. Finally, I just said, I can't keep looking at this. Uh, And I really started uh, realizing how precarious this was. After a couple more days, they let me um, FaceTime with Jill. Obviously, she wasn't FaceTiming me back. Well, she was looking at me. Um, and that's when I really realized how serious it was. I got to see Jill with all the tubes in her mouth and everything, uh, going on. Um, and I realized this was pretty grave. Um, that week went by, uh, I I prayed and prayed and prayed and I said, God, this cannot happen. You You can't let this happen to Jill. This is not the way our life is supposed to end. Um, and it actually, like Pastor said, got worse. That week they were like, oh, Jill's getting better. And then by the end of that week, they said, well, now she has a fever. And I said, well, what's that mean? They said, well, she has some sort of an infection. So they found out that then, now on top of COVID pneumonia, she had regular pneumonia. And they said, this is not good. This is really bad. It's kind of like a house of cards at this point. We're keeping everything going for her. But at some point, everything's gonna fall apart. So another week went by and she made a little bit of of progress. Every day they tell me this setting went up or this setting went down. Um, I found out all the terminology um, that they talked about. I know more now about lungs and ventilators than I ever want to know. But by the end of that week, I was actually able to get into the hospital um, because Jill was now no longer had to be quarantined. Um, And so I went in and I started talking to the nurses. They started explaining to me what was going on. Uh, And that weekend, I think it was Saturday, um, one of the nurses sat me down and kind of talked to me about what was happening and said, hey, it could go this way, it could go that way, but be prepared. Um, So Sunday when I came in uh, after church, or maybe it was Monday, Uh, One of the PAs came to me, and now it's been two weeks that Jill was intubated uh, and sedated. And the PA said, the physician's assistant said, "Um, I don't think there's anything else we can do for Jill. Uh, She's not making any progress. She's kind of flatlined on on her progress with her lungs. You really need to start talking to your family about what the next step is. And I kind of just looked at her, and she started talking to me about statistics and data and... Trends and studies, and I, I said, well, "What? What are you trying to tell me?" And she said, "You need to talk to your family." And I said, "Are you asking me to, to let my wife pass away and turn off the ventilator?" She said, "Well, that's a choice you have to make." Uh, and I said, "Well, I, I don't think that I'm ready to do that. My wife is 42 years old. She's very healthy, and I know lungs are very important, but everything else on her body is working well." Uh, so I said, "I'd like to talk to the doctor." So the next day. I went in early, um, actually got there too early. They wouldn't let me in the hospital. I thought the visiting started at like nine. I don't think it started till 10. So I had to go out and sit on the bench for a little bit, which is probably pretty good because I got some time to pray and ask God for me for the right words to talk to the doctor about. I went in and uh, the doctor came in, uh, Dr. Gajera, I remember him well. And he was very kind, but he basically said, I have to be honest with you this is not good. Jill is at a point uh, with, after two weeks, they told me about all the more complications, the longer that she's intubated, the more problems that could happen. Uh, And I said, well, you know, what if we can just get to the point of taking the uh, ventilator out of her mouth and put it into a tracheostomy tube? He said, well, I don't think we could even get to that. Um, And he went, he took me to the computer. He showed me all the scans. He showed me the x-rays. He said, look, this is how bad she is, and I said, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that, and I trust you. I'm sure you're very, very smart and intelligent, but I know my wife, and I know that she's a fighter, and I know God, and I know that he is more powerful than anything that is in this, this room right now. So Dr. Gajera told me, he said, well, you'll see. You'll see someday. He goes, it may not be today, it may not be next week. It may not even be weeks from now. He said, but you're going to see my side of the story. He said, this is going to happen, and you will see. And I said, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that because I'm not believing in that. So the conversation ended kind of awkwardly because I just said I don't have anything else to say. And uh, he said, I thanked him for his time, and I said, well, we're going to see what we can do here, how much further we can get. And uh, I said... I don't know how this is going to end, um, but I know that he knows how it's going to end and he will provide for us. So uh, the rest of the week, Jill actually had her birthday that week. Um, it was an excellent day that day. I walked in, I prayed uh, for God to clear the room out because the, the air in the hospital just was, I felt like, like, like a dead man walking. Like people were walking like, oh, you poor soul, you know, oh, your poor wife is laying here. And when I came in on her birthday, the nurses were so sweet, they um, had decorated her room. Uh, I walked up to the nurse's station, and the girls said, did you see? Did you see? And uh, I, was, I said, yes. And I started crying, I said, thank you so much. Uh, and they came in, and they had Christmas sh- uh, movies on TV. They had decorated the room. They had washed Jill. They would combed her hair. Uh, I, said, I said, girls, this is so awesome. And They looked like teenage girls. I'm I'm a teacher, so they looked like one of my students. They were so excited. They were like, did you see it? Uh, So it was was awesome. God really provided. That same day, we had a a family meeting. And that day, the doctors, uh, we sat down with myself, the doctors, the nurses. Jill's mom, Carol, was on the phone. uh, And they talked to us about everything, what was going to happen, what the complications were. It was basically the same conversation we had earlier in the week. And we said, we're not believing that. Um, I'm so thankful that Carol was on the phone call with me that day. Because, I'm sorry. She, She told them, you don't know how powerful my God is. My God can do more than anything we know in our world there's nothing that he can't do. Amen. I kind of just sat there and looked at him and said, "Yeah, what she said." <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, although Jill and I had faith, we had a lot of people behind us as well. Carol's faith, pastor telling me, I'd call him and text him. I remember conversations where, you know, with him saying, "Be strong. Go in Pray boldly over your wife. And at times I did. I prayed where I didn't even know anything else to say other than in the name of Jesus. I spoke in tongues over her. I'm sure the people out in the the nurse's station thought I was nuts. But it was all I knew what to do. So uh, Jill went, made it. uh, She started to stabilize after another couple of weeks, uh, probably another week or two. They actually moved her to another level of the hospital that because COVID was getting so bad, they opened up a whole nother section of the MICU. Uh, and so she moved to the sixth floor um, and she started to make some progress there. Uh, she, they, she was stable enough, her, her breathing rates were increasing, her lung strength was increasing, her heart rate was, was actually racing really high, but they said that's okay, it's working fine. And um, she was starting to wake up, her, her eyes were starting to blink a little bit, and we were hopeful that with them lowering the medicine that, they were, that she was on, that she was going to wake up, but she really wasn't waking up, and, and weeks had gone by. So Christmas Eve, uh, I came in very excited because it was Christmas Eve. Um, we were all prepared at home, we had some friends that had helped us out, and um, Helped us with Christmas presents for our children. And you know, there's people all over supporting us. And uh, when I came in that day, Jill wasn't in the room. And I said, Oh, well, this isn't good. They, she should be here. So I went and found the nurse and I said, Where's my wife? And they said, um, They took her for a CAT scan. The doctor's a little concerned because she's not waking up. They want to find out what's going on. So um, she came back up and the doctor came to me and said, um, Hey, I don't want to do this on Christmas Eve, but I got some bad news. Jill's had multiple strokes on both sides of her brain, and they're pretty significant. Uh, He's like, I I don't even think that she's going to wake up. And if she does wake up, I really can't tell you what she's going to be like. So I did all the questions again. I said, wow, okay, this is a lot. Um, I said, well, thank you. We're going to keep pushing forward and seeing what's going to happen. The next day, I had a talk with um, another physician's assistant and a neurologist. They said the same thing. I said, well, can you tell me where the strokes are? They showed me. uh, They said, we're not really sure what it's going to affect. And um, the one physician's assistant said, look, before it was just her lungs. Now it's her lungs and her brain. You know, you might want to think about her quality of life. And he's, he said, I can't tell you what to do, but you might want to talk to your family about, you know, the possibility that this is as far as we can get Jill. And I said, well, I appreciate your, 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 your knowledge, but once again, we've gone this far. I'm not going to stop at this point. I, I had to ask myself if I was nuts because all the doctors and they kept telling me that this wasn't going to work. Thankfully, I would go back a lot of times to the nurses, and the nurses would give me like a debriefing. And I would ask them, and I said, am, am I not seeing this? Am I, am I not seeing the truth here? You know, am I just naive? And thankfully, a lot of the nurses were very supportive. Um, I found, you know, I, I think Christians have a Christian meter sometimes. And some of the, some of the Christian nurses were like, hey, I'm praying for you. I got your back, uh, and a lot of them um, that weren't Christians, I think, saw what we were going through and heard some of the things that we were saying, uh, and 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 it was impressive. Um, so we we continue to fight. Jill Jill um, now was had been in the hospital for, gosh, I think 40 days. She was still kind of asleep. She's starting to wake up more. Um, and I don't know if you recall, but in December around that time, uh, we had a church service and, and, pastor Christie came up here and, and our church, I've never seen anything more powerful than that, that service I came up, you guys erupted in prayer. Uh, it felt like it was 30 or 40 minutes that we were praying for Jill. I watched the back and I think it was more like five or 10, but uh, Isaiah always says, you know, when I'm I'm worshiping, I lose track of everybody else. I lost track of everybody else. So, but I I truly believe that day was the turning point for Jill's recovery. Something in the spiritual realm. (laughs) Pastor told me, Kevin, things happen in the spiritual realm before it happens in the world. And I think that day, we may have pushed the ball over the, the tipping point, because after that point, it wasn't immediate. Jill didn't wake up and say, let's go. But she started to get better. Um, she moved from Christiana Hospital, to, uh, or Christiana on the sixth floor down to a, uh, a step-down unit where they started to try to wean her off the ventilator there, um, which was pretty scary. She would woke up. We had conversations, we started to talk. Um, Well, we weren't talking because Jill was on the ventilator and she couldn't talk, which uh, led to some very interesting conversations where I was trying to read her lips. uh, And I would think she'd have some awesome prophetic thing like, I love you, Kevin, you're awesome. (laughs) And usually it was like, can you turn the fan up? (laughs) But it it was interesting. Uh, as it turns out, those 18 days, Jill has really no recollection of that time. So she was awake, but apparently the, the, the medicine that she was on was still coming out of her body. They called it a fog. Um, and I said, well, okay. But because I told her all the stories about what happened, and then she two weeks later, she's like, wait, what happened? How long was that in the hospital? The poor girl missed her birthday in December. She missed my birthday in December. She missed Christmas. She missed New Year's. She missed Thanksgiving. Uh, and when she woke up, they started asking her what day it was or when it was. And she still thought it was 2021 and it had turned over to 2022. So it was a lot for her to get over, um, you know, waking up. She moved from Christiana Hospital there. They, she got strong enough to move to uh, another hospital called Select Specialty Hospital in St. Francis. Um, and that's where she really started to wean off the ventilator. They took her off the ventilator, um, which is a pretty scary process, because she starts, uh, you know, taking the ventilator off. They put her on oxygen. Uh, alarms go off. She gets panicked. Her breathing rate goes up. They have to put her back on. But she got strong enough eventually to get uh, off of it. So I think that's where Jill starts to wake up and remember. So you've heard enough from me. You've guys heard from me from the last five months. Um, So I will let Jill tell you the rest here.
1: So this was a very difficult time period for me. I was alone without my husband, no visitors, and it was emotional. Um, I knew I had a very long way to go before I could even think of going home, and that's the only place I wanted to be. I would joke with my physical therapist every day, it's not a therapy session unless Jill cries, Uh, but they've learned to uh, manage my tears and and comfort me. During this time, when I went to select um, our family and our friends and Kevin would come to the parking lot across the street from where my room was, and they'd have parking lot parties and cheer me on and encourage me, and it really was the highlight of my week. Oh, sorry. Um, While I was there for physical therapy, I did have to learn how to stand. Uh, Well before standing, I had to learn how to sit. I had, uh, my body had deteriorated so much, I couldn't even sit. I had to learn how to sit up. I had to learn how to um, sit in the bed, sit off the side of the bed, and learn how to eventually stand. We didn't know if I'd ever walk again, Um, but by the time I left Select, I was able to take five steps. I felt like Rocky running up the stairs. I knew that I'd conquered something pretty big, and it was super exciting, When I left Select, I went to Wilmington Rehab to work on physical therapy. And that is where the grueling physical work really did start. I had to learn to walk more than four steps. um, And I had to learn how to uh, manage my oxygen and my lung strength while doing these physical tasks. During this time, I also got to see my kids, who I hadn't seen in months. And it was the best day ever. I made a lot of gains when I was in Wilmington Rehab. By the time I left, I went from not being able to walk to walking 180 feet. I went from not being able to go up a four-inch step to walking up multiple flights of steps. We had been praying for months for my vision. It was affected by the strokes. I woke up one morning after we'd been doing a lot of praying and I could see. I'm not at 100%, but I'm pretty much there. And we're praying still and believing that God's gonna do a full miracle, as he has already done, and heal everything. And my vision's gonna be perfect. My lungs continue to prove, even now. When I left the hospital, I was on four liters of oxygen. And now I'm down to one. (laughs) Through every challenge that I've faced, on this journey, God has truly given me peace that passes all understanding. And I know what that means now more than ever before. In the midst of chaos, despite scary reports, he has been by my side and he's given me the peace that I needed to know I was gonna be okay every step of the way. God has also given me favor with the medical teams that I had, I had great care. And we pray in every stop that I'd go to, Kevin and I would pray, God, just give me favor. Send us the right people who knew the right things to do. I've developed connections and relationships with his staff. I would walk down the hall and I'd be like, Hey, Jill, how are you? And I'd invest in their lives and want to know more about them. God truly was able to show my story where I could share that with other people and share my faith and how God brought me through everything he's brought me through. He opened many doors where I could share my miracles and God get the credit for it. We've met many medical people along the way, and they're amazed that I'm still alive. I've been told many times that you shouldn't be here, but I know God has a better plan for me. The doctor who originally told Kevin that I wouldn't make it saw a video of me walking, and he couldn't believe it. He he ran to the uh, computer, and he looked up my chart, and uh, he said, she shouldn't be here. She shouldn't be able to do this. There was just no answer except for God. I don't know why I went through all this, but I know God has a plan for me. And I know it's a plan for good. I know, that I, I know that he's going to turn it around. And I'm going to come out with some amazing stories that are going to bless others. I feel like I'm just a regular person, not anything overly special, just me. But I know if God did this for me, he could do it for anyone else. I want to thank you to our church. And the pastoral staff. Thank you for your prayers and your support for everything. Thank you for standing in the gap for me when I could not do so for myself. I truly believe there's a spiritual battle over my life. And like the song says, the devil thought he had me, but Jesus said, You are mine. Amen. Amen. I want to thank our church for being like Aaron and holding up Kevin's arms when he couldn't no longer. Thank you for your phone calls and your texts and your cards and the meals. What you have done for us means more than we can ever say thank you for. You've truly shown what the body of Christ looks like. And for that, we are eternally grateful.
0: Amen. Praise the Lord. And you're still standing. Come on, stand up with me. Stretch your hand this way. Father, we thank you for the miracles you've done so far and what you're continuing to do in Jill's life and her body. But I thank you for completing what you've started. You're a God who finishes what you start. And you've started a miracle in her, Lord, and it's going to go 100%. A hundred percent, Lord, a hundred percent till it's done. You do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. I thank you for the moments of suddenlies that are coming her way in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. What an awesome God you are. Thank you for what you've done in Jill's life. Thank you for the story that's going to be told. Your stories are testimonies that will continue because you're going to do it for somebody else. What you've done in one, you'll do for another. You're no respecter of persons. So I thank you for healing Jill completely in the mighty name of Jesus. We love you and we give you praise. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hebrews 11, 22. it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently, he said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt, that Joe would get out of this hospital. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. He made a faith declaration and a command because he saw something that was coming but wasn't here yet. Faith, next level faith. So I ask you today, what kind of next level faith declaration do you need to make today? What's going on in your life? I know today we're praying for for little baby, baby girl Bradford. Came into this world, she's had some struggles, but God is with her. They moved her to a new hospital. They did surgery in the middle of the night, but God is with her. We're believing for a a miracle in her body. I don't know what you need today, but I do know a God who still performs miracles. And if you need a miracle, I invite you to come and stand here in this altar area because we're going to believe for miracles today. It may be impossible in the world's eyes. The doctors may look at it and say, no, nothing more we can do. It's over. Just pull the plug. And we look with eyes of faith and say, not pulling the plug. I'm pulling God's plug. I'm looking at God and saying, you do what you can do, Lord, because we're done. We can't do anything else. We're looking to you for a miracle today may be impossible in everyone else's eyes, but I'm here to tell you today, nothing shall be impossible with God. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, lift your hands all over this place. Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. If you want more resources for your walk with the Lord, you can visit us online at www.thepowerplace.org. You can check us out on YouTube and Facebook at The PowerPlace Church if you want to watch the service online. And if you want to give, you can text any amount to 84321 or visit the church website.